Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Summer Mama podcast. Courtney here, and we've got a guest today that I'm so excited to introduce you to. Her name is Kate Castile. She comes from the wonderful state of Texas and currently resides in Philadelphia, uh, which is how we met. So our paths crossed at a 30 hour advanced teacher training uh, that we took at the Wells Studio in Fishtown, a suburb of Philadelphia. And uh, Kate was just one of those people that brought this like very just real and vibrant and authentic energy. And that could be on the nights where everyone was in a slump and Kate was like, yep, I'm tired and I'm not ashamed to say it. And here I am arriving. And uh, that's like, the, that's the kind of authenticity of just that I'm attracted to. Um, just naming it how it is and just like embracing the humanness of that. Um, and so Kate and, and I have continued to connect just through really conversation and letting our minds kind of go awry and go down these like, not not like always dismal uh, rabbit holes, but sometimes when we like trip about just society and how we got where we are now. Uh, so you can imagine that that's, a, that's an umph-y conversation. Uh, needless to say, I'm so happy to have Kate on the pod today to just show you who she is she her mind is is so so wonderful and and she has so much wisdom and just shares shares with so much realness realness in her human experience and today we will talk about a few different topics and we're all just also going to see where our conversation leads us so we are going to mention a few thoughts around agency around boundaries um maybe a little bit around like soul i want to say like soul alignment kind of that soul searching but also that coming back home to like that person that that was always there that just needed a little bit of a tuning right whether that it was attunement through relationship attunement through your profession attunement and family connection attunement in environment like hey i just need to need a clean slate i need to uproot and go somewhere else so I'm excited to see what comes today. Without further ado, Kate, go ahead, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, hi, I'm Kate. Um, before I go into that court, you are, you, I think your superpower might be with words because just the, you put such specific feeling words to reality that um, enables other people. And like, so to, to hear you reflect upon like the journey that I've had and like, we've only known each other for this long. Like, um, I just, I feel really, um, I feel very seen. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, hi, I'm Kate. Um, I come from Texas as Courtney mentioned, I moved here to Philly in 2021. Um, I live in South Philly. I am in love with the vibrant community down here. Um, I teach yoga. Um, I teach at a co-op in South Philly, which I really love. We focus on bringing like accessible, um, donation-based practice to anybody in the neighborhood, anybody out of the neighborhood, anyone that wants to come in our doors. Um, we offer mats and props for free. So that always helps. Um, but I, um, I would say as an introduction, um, Philly has been a place for me to really land into myself and um kind of like look in a mirror and clean it off. Um you mentioned like a blank slate and um yeah so I I 
lived most of my life in Texas, not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, and you know, I, I will always have Texas pride. I love my home. I love my people. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a container that was really, um, igniting some of the creative forces in my life. Um, I have a lot of loved ones down there and they saw a lot of this in me, but I just didn't feel, um, the space or like rootedness to flourish. And I think, you know, I didn't even like acknowledge, we talk about agency. I don't think I'd even thought of agency as a concept at that point. Um, and so when I came to Philly, it, it has really just kind of flipped my little brain upside down and just said, how do, how do we do it a little differently? How do you, what feels good? What feels weird? What feels new? Um, and it's just, I, I, the city has held me with such honesty, um, and grit and love. And those are very weird things for me to feel all at once. Um, and so it's just, it's been a really beautiful journey and I'm, I, I feel so lucky to be here and just to, to keep seeing where that takes me. Um, yeah, that's me. Mm, Kate, one, thank you. Thank you. Just thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for being you. Thank you for giving us that, again, wonderful and real introduction. And one thing that you said that really struck me was uh, moving to Philly was like looking myself in the mirror and like wiping, wiping it off. Mm -hmm. And I want to return to that. Will you, will you just tell us a little bit more about that experience for you? Like, be it on an emotional level, mental level, spiritual level, physical level, whatever. Yeah, I think, um, so I, uh, I moved a lot as a child. So I was used to kind of being in new environments and making new environments work for myself. That was a, a tool that I was really familiar with and honestly pretty proud of. Um, and I, I held that skill dearly to myself in my career a lot of the time. Um, I was comfortable doing a lot of new projects and picking things up. And, um, but while that gave back to like the career side of me, I didn't feel like, um, I didn't feel a balance to what I was giving, um, at that time. And so it almost felt like I knew I had this connection to, you know, um, honesty, vulnerability, um, consistency, uh, authenticity, like those integrity, those are like values that were always very core to me, but they were being used in a way that, um, I just didn't feel like I chose. Um, I thought I chose them. You know, I was the one that signed all the papers and I, I, I walked across the stage and, you know, all that. Um, but I, when I was making those choices, I don't think I really knew what they meant. Um, you know, cause I, I'm someone that I, I really think that for me, I need to experience something to really understand how I feel about it. And a lot of times, um, my intellectual understanding of something is very different from that. Um, so I came to Philly and it was, you know, a new environment and I'm like, okay, I, I know how to do this. Um, but I was on my own. I wasn't with my family. Uh, I didn't, I, the career that, choice that I made was kind of out of left field. So I wasn't in like a similar environment from that standpoint. Uh, it was just me and my partner, Harry, we just came up here. We were like, all right, let's just try something different. Um, and it, it was different and it wasn't right. Like we still had lives to live. Um, but all of a sudden 
the DoorDash was totally different. You know, like there was not a single familiar name on my DoorDash and like the, you know, like I would walk around the corner and I would see like, um, I don't know, a Rite Aid or a Quaker City something or like, you know, those brands that are very like familiar to someone that grows up here. And like, they're just totally new for me. I'm not from this region. Um, and I think that that really like kicked something off in my brain that since it was new, there was this level of presence that was required um, and not even required and not even chosen just there. Like I had to be that present to do these things. And I didn't realize, oh, wow, like that's, that feels a lot different. Um, and I think it's like every single day, it's been a little bit of that. Like what, where am I living my day-to-day life, um, in ways that I'm not choosing to, and I'm really following a model or I'm following a conditioned understanding of something. Um, so, and I'm trying to think of a very specific example of this. Um, my, my first example has come to work, honestly. And like that, that makes it tracks with how I moved here. Um, you know, when I moved here, my career was a really huge component of my identity. And while it still is, you know, an important component of my identity, um, I think I had really leaned on it more than anything uh, before I came here. And then uh, the role that I took when I moved to Philly was very unconventional, very unstructured, um, a little bit isolated and pretty overwhelming. Um, There wasn't the level of like systemic support that I was used to. So I was just thrown into something that I didn't know I was getting into. And um, I had to think about how to build the wheel instead of thinking about how to drive the car. You know, um, I need to turn here and turn on my blinker. I just had to think about how to build a wheel and I had never built a wheel before. I was like, what, what you want me to do? What? (laughs) That wasn't in the description. Like, I don't know what that is. Um, and what ensued was a year of just kind of grueling, honest, loving work of separating myself from that wheel and understanding the wheel is not me. I get to participate in building the wheel. There's a whole team that builds that wheel. And there's a lot of different wheels out there, a lot of different ways to build wheels. Um, so now I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, oh, there's a lot of wheels. What, what, <laughs> what, what do I do with that knowledge? <laughs> um, which is, it's fun. It's, I'm, I'm not used to the, uh, unknown piece of it. Like that's something that I'm real. The flow of life is a new kind of concept for me. So, um, sometimes I forget that the unknown is a good thing. You know, I don't have, I don't get to know. I don't have to know. I don't need to know. It's not my business. Um, yeah. Does that, does that kind of feel like a a clear mirror? (laughs) (laughs) Clear as mud, Kate, clear as mud. (laughs) No, of course you're you're speaking to my heartstrings, and the hope is that you're you're pulling and tugging at some of the heart or the mind strings of those of us listening as well. Uh, in in that, yes, like one thing that came to mind for me hearing you say, like there's I'm 
discovering there's so many different wheels and there's so many and they could be put together differently with different materials and different people mm. from different cultures and different background assembling the wheel maybe they're used for for different reasons right mm -hmm. and um i i was on the i'm on this like mental spectrum of wonder and anxiety right mm. and it's one of my first thoughts in hearing you you describe the wheels was like i remember when i was searching for colleges as a 17 year old, I was like, well, how am I going to know which one to go to if I don't visit every damn college in the United States? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not a feasible option, right? That's just not going to happen. But I remember feeling like, well, how am I going to find the one that's the right fit uh, if I don't see them all? Mm -hmm. And it's a valid question and it's also backed by a shit ton of anxiety, which I had then and and I continue to have in different ways. I've just expanded my toolkit and reining in that anxiety. Um, as I know, we talked about a little bit about before hopping on our our call today. Um, but what I'm seeing in, in, in you, Kate, and what's also the beauty of, of like our paths crossing when they did, did is that I get to bear witness to you in this like wondrous mm. exploration. And it's not with the same lens of like naivety. Maybe there's a certain, there's a certain component of like, we'll just call it nuanced. Like this is nuanced. This there's, mm -hmm. I'm seeing things, I'm witnessing, witnessing things genuinely that I haven't before. Um, and it, that to me feels different than like, you know, a 20, 22 year old, uh, 21 year old exiting undergrad or, or maybe an 18 year old exiting college or leaving home for the first time. That's like, what is the actual world? Like mm -hmm. what is happening? Right. And mm -hmm. this is where I'll tie it into, um, of course, in the framework of social work, we talk a lot about internal family systems and, and how you as an individual become like a cog in the wheel within mm -hmm. your family right? Mm -hmm. To keep that analogy going and tying that into agency, which I'd love to talk to you more about, Kate. It's like, yeah, I started doing things that I didn't choose for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I was having this conversation even with someone the other day about children and how dang vulnerable they are. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're two and you pooped your diaper. Like, here, we're going to change it regardless of whether you want to change it right this second, because mm -hmm this shit smells and we got to throw it out. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and for a multitude of other reasons, but it's like, I didn't choose that for myself. I don't know, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes I go down these mental trances of like, Oh my gosh, I'll look at my own child. And I'm like, you don't even know how vulnerable you are. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many different ways we can take that with, with the trauma informed lens and just with like the family system lens and, like cultural lens and just so many different, like so many different lenses. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's all to say, yeah, we become cogs and wheels. And sometimes we don't even know how we got there or mm -hmm. why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so in this present moment, Kate, with this like kind of new eyes opened and seeing things maybe in a different way um, or with a little bit more curiosity or wonder, or just again, that nuanced lens, what how would you describe what agency means to you right now in this present moment i would say agency means i have a feeling and i'm trying to identify the word i 
And you can describe the feeling too. Like they're also, yeah. Feels like opting in or like, um, hang on, I think I wrote this down when I was writing yesterday. Ah, active. That's the word that comes to me is active. Um, and I think the reason that that word comes to me is, uh, I, I, all, I, I think that I was raised knowing there were choices. I knew always that there were choices. I knew always there were options. There were always doors opening and closing. And I think that I learned that really, really, really early. And what that became was instead of tapping into what I actively need, what this present moment is calling for, it became um, which of these options feels best, most right, which, and we, this is something I could talk about for hours. Um, I lived for a long, long time in black and white thinking of just good and bad. I just evaluated, I evaluated every single move of my day, good or bad. And I didn't even realize that I did that. I didn't realize that was a choice. I thought that was just how everyone lived. Um, and that was really where things changed for me is when I stopped or when I really started working on healing that part of myself that was, and I still, I still work on labels like that. It's a common thing for people with um, pure OCD. And I think that that's something that I tap into a lot is like, it's almost like a validation of an internal experience, um, sort of, but in, in a, in a, um, in a disguised way, I would say, because it's just not, it's not based in reality. Um, so I say all that because I, I think that I was making choices, but I was not actively making them. I was passively looking at all the choices I had and allowing the choice that looked the best to float to the top. And I didn't really feel like I was like walking in and saying, oh, well, do those values that I would need here, those match up with the values that I'm presently feeling connected to and presently feeling like I want to pursue. I wasn't asking those questions to myself. I was more so, what do I need to do? What is expected of me so that I can then have my freedom? It was almost like a transaction. Yeah. And, and, and it, 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 it's like a disconnection too. Like, um, so I, the word that I wrote was innate connection to active choice. And I think that there's so many corners where we just lose track of our agency because we're constantly weighing everything. We're constantly taking in information from ourselves, from other people, from the environment. Like we can't, we don't really control that. Right. Um, and so if you're not actively picking, they just, they overcome you. That's kind of where I got was I just became everything that I had signed on for and nothing more than that. If that makes sense. I, I really just didn't, I did not feel any of the, I was doing things, things were going really well for me. Things were going great. And I just, none of the successes felt like they landed in my belly. That was really where I knew this doesn't feel active. This doesn't feel chosen. And now like on the other end of actively choosing something, 
that reward feels, um, it's really validating. Um, and self-validation is something that I still learn how to do. But I think that part of the reason I struggle so much with self-validation is because I didn't always make my choices actively. And so it was hard to validate them because I just kind of made them <laughs> and then I just kind of lived with it. A hundred, hundred percent. And as I'm listening to you speak, Kay, I, you know, from a parenting perspective, I'm like, well, of course, this you're also activating like a pit of fire within my solar plexus. It's like people need agency. Like, and I don't know if this is like what I would dub as my inner social worker or like just someone who's very passionate about like giving people back the power that they already had. Right. And I like more specifically with a word choice, like I am not giving you anything. It is already there. Granted, when you are at your lowest, depressed as can be, you don't see that power. You don't know that, that that's even there. You have no idea. So it like, yes, like it, it, there's, it's almost a requirement of someone who sees you or knows you or loves you unconditionally or a therapist who's skilled in this area, et cetera, to, to be like, hey, no, like you're here, you mm -hmm. are whole, like you, you know, and it's not to belittle how they're arriving in that moment, but it's just like, hey, no, like, we got you, like, we got this, mm -hmm. right? And, and this is taking a little bit of a turn, but I always feel a little bit activated when someone says, like, I'm broken. And I'm like, you're not fucking broken. You're not. No, it's like, we can. Yeah, absolutely. We can fall into little tiny pieces. Absolutely. We're our pieces. Some of our pieces are missing, right? You're not like, you're not broken you but you have the ability to be whole in fact you already are mm. yes right but i absolutely won't sit here and acknowledge when you're at the depth of despair to think that you're whole because it does not feel that way um and another like you just you said so many valuable things kate but i again coming back to the parenting lens it's like well gosh for one, we aren't taught these things. So we're not always taught to be active decision makers in our own lives, right? In fact, like I think a lot of times that, that kicks into gear when you're pa parenting adolescents because the responsibility shifts, whereas it's like, well, you're not quite an adult, but you're not a child. So mm -hmm. we do have to do this tango, like who's gonna take responsibility mm -hmm. because I'm not you know, I am not you. And I, yeah. and at a certain point, I can't, I can't as a parent indicate the decisions you're going to make. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, gosh, yeah, unless you have like highly, like emotionally intelligent, introspective parents who started that from day one, like yeah. it's probably not happening. And even then it's like there, you, we always run the risk of putting too much of our experience as an individual and as a parent onto our child who's in mm -hmm. their own soul experience literally s-o-l-e yes. and s-o-u-l like they are their own being <laughs> mm. um so yes i another direction i want to go kate too is as we're as we're talking about agency and as you're literally living this in real time right now too where do boundaries come into play and how do those feel like in your soma how do boundaries when you're like starting to feel into your ability to speak them and set them, um, how does that feel? 
And how does that show up? So boundaries are new, 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 new for me. Um, not necessarily in their existence, but in like my understanding of how they work, I think, and like how I, where I get to put words to them. Um, and so I think the first thing I would say is, um, and, and you, you, you do the same thing for me. You hit so many points and then my brain just explodes. And it's like, I want to talk about so many tangents. <laughs> so I'll say um, before boundaries were a real learning experience for me. And really like um, I had to just go through the fire, um, which I don't recommend because it's not fun or kind to yourself, but it got me here. Like you said, no one's ever broken. I felt broken at one point. I thought this isn't going to happen. Um, but so the first thing that happened is my partner noticed. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes we just need someone else to tell us that our experience can change. Um, and to explore how that feels with somebody else, someone else's brains, someone else's physicality, someone else's soul. We got to hear that because like you said, like it can, it, it just creeps in one day, one day at a time, one moment at a time. And then all of a sudden it, you don't feel it. And so that's kind of where I got was I felt like I was at the whim of everyone all the time. Um, even when I was here in Philly, honestly, like this, I, I explored agency when I got here, but I did not figure out how to use it effectively because I didn't have any boundaries. I had no boundaries. All I had was agency. And I just said, okay, I'll choose it all. Yes, 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 yes. And um, I know a lot of people can relate to that. And it's fun, but it's also chaotic and like not sustainable or supportive. And it's not kind. It's not nice, not nice to yourself and not nice to anybody else that relies on that because it's not giving them an actual idea of what's reality there. You're faking it. And at some point that will become the truth. Um, and so, yeah, for me, first thing was work. Um, I needed boundaries with my career because otherwise I'm very much, um, in dosha language, I'm very much a vata type. Vata kapha, I think, is kind of my constitution, but real vata. I'm all in the air all the time. And so having a career that, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm in like finance and accounting, having an, a very like intellectual brainy career um, took me out of my soma for a lot of time. Like I just never really realized how to reconnect into that. And so I was spending all my time in vata with no kapha a lot of pitta too. So it was just mean. I was just mean and airy. It was weird. <laughs> but I think someone had to tell me you're not being nice to yourself. Like this is not something you can set up for yourself. You can't live like this. You just can't. Um, and so it did take me kind of burning it down. Um, and at that point, it was all about feeling what burnt down felt like, because I, had gotten to a place where I was so dishonest with myself, but not intentionally, completely unintentionally. I just was hiding things from myself um, because I thought that I had to, you know, I thought I had to work 60 hour weeks to prove that I was worth it um, or that I could figure it out. But somehow there'd always be another project that I couldn't figure out. Like it, it always comes again. Um, and so the first thing that I did was I did a time boundary. We just said, okay. And, and I, I left um, a role and changed into kind of a part-time role. And that was the best decision for me to say, okay, 
I can't structure this for myself. I cannot figure out the right structure that makes me feel safe. So I'm only going to opt into a structure that doesn't allow me to go overboard. Um, and I, I've worked that for about six months and that has been just eye-opening how much time there is, how much time we all have. And, you know, I don't, that's not always true, right? Time is not necessarily an infinite resource, but presence is, and that can make time feel so much different. You can there, it just creates little pockets. I mean, we read Colby Kowalski's book, one degree revolution in that training. And, um, that it's kind of what that entire book is about is, you know, you just find 1% change, 1% change. And then all of a sudden it's 98%. Like, um, so time was my biggest thing. I said, I'm not going to give more than X number of hours to this. And at first that was really freaking hard. Like I did not listen to that and I pushed and I tried and, you know, I fought with me, my partner fought with me, my therapist and I like fought, like we were all just like, what's happening? And the answer was, I just, I was still working on that honesty component. Um, and, and the separation component, you know, like the kind of cutting the cord. I am not my career. My career is part of me. Um, and then from recognizing the amount of time I was comfortable spending in my work, um, I then got to play with the balance of time and I got to use all that extra lovely time that I used to spend, you know, over explaining a project or, um, working another 30 hours on something that no one's really going to notice. Um, or maybe they will, but it's still hurt. Um, and that's really the important part. Um, instead of doing that, I can curl up in that green chair that I see from my desk and I can go read a book. I can, I can go flow a sun a for 30 minutes without any interruption, without any freaking guilt. There is no one on this earth that needs me right now. I can do whatever the fuck I want right now. And that brought me back. That reminded me, Oh yeah, that you shouldn't feel like Monday through Friday. None of this time is my own. That is so wrong. And, and we, I accepted it. I left college and I was like, yep, that's what it is. And it took me seven years. I I've worked for seven years since college and there's no way I can do that again. It just isn't it. I, I have so much more life to live and I want my career to flourish and I want to be engaged in it in a way that allows me to show up everywhere else. Cause it, it shouldn't be taking it just shouldn't. Yes. hundred percent. You okay. Again, my mind and my spirit is just jumping around right now. Um, and I, I want to share with those listening and just share in response anecdotally that um, my my partner often makes a comment of like, well, Court, you don't like you don't like to work. And what he means by that, because I'm like, yeah, no, no. And he knows what he's saying when he says that because we know each other so well. But he's saying, like, I don't like to give my time to other people without agency, without that sense of, oh, I'm in control of this. You know, and some might listen to that and be like, well, you might have like a little bit of a control problem. And by all means, I absolutely do for a multitude of reasons. But when it comes to your time and literally that's it, when it comes to your time, that is yours. Be mm -hmm. selfish, be mm -hmm. selfish, 
right? And there's there's an act of selflessness that comes when you have a partner and you often have to compromise time. But even then, it's like you can you can do the dance with one another, right? Like you can respect, and this is something I've had to learn the hard way that like my partner can be in his happiness watching football, which I have very little understanding of how that could bring someone joy. And I've spent a lot of my time in partnership understanding how that brings someone joy. And I will literally ask him that question and not Mm -hmm. as a narcissist, not condescendingly, I will be like, help me understand why -hmm. you love this so much because I don't understand Mm -hmm. it. Right. And same thing when I look at a mountain and I'm like, look how beautiful that is. Doesn't that just like bring you all of these feelings? And he's like, see, no, it doesn't have the same effect on me. But but Mm -hmm. and then we'll go down like philosophical conversations about like beauty and the subjectivity of it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which that's a topic for another episode. Um, But that's all to say, like the conclusion here is, yes, be selfish about your time. And when we talk about systems. What like were we taught that when were we taught that how are we supposed to know that you don't just willingly give all your time to a system to an organization to another person even even to a child right Mm -hmm. and that's a tough one because you're fighting like some serious biological primal energy Mm -hmm. um but it's like oh no i as my sole individual and as the role i play as a parent i'm also allowed to have my own time Mm -hmm. it makes you better for that right Yes. Yes. Um, but I, I heard so much in your sharing, Kate, especially around the like, well, one, the rate at which it took you to make those changes. And here's where I just want to give you a pat on the back and some accolades mm-hmm. and that someone will will spend 25 years trying to unravel what they've raveled, right, in terms of their profession, their relationship, whatever. Um, and you're you're a Manny Jen, right? I am. Yes. Okay. I was like, if I didn't know that, I sense that. For those of you who don't know human design, I'll I'll add a link in the show notes so for you to explore it. But um, there's a handful of different types um, within the human design, and Kate and I t- happen to share the same one, which is manifesting generator, um, which is basically what it sounds like. We like to manifest and generate the shit out of everything, (laughs) which means we often like to have our hands in multiple pots. And it's not that we don't do follow through, like follow through often still happens, but it's like, we tend to be juggling so many different pots. And at one point or some point you have to look at yourself or maybe your partner does, or your sibling and they're like, why, what are you actually doing? Like, why are Mm -hmm. you, you know, and even one, you know, we do live in a capitalistic society. We do have to address that. It's like, hey, are any of those 17 things making you money? Like, not mm-hmm. that that's the sole importance here, but like, let's also make sure that we're paying our bills and like food yeah. is on the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I don't know if you want to quick speak to any any asides on the Manny Gen human design front. Um, I, I, this, this changed my life. Um, I did. And I remember when I learned this. Um, I learned this probably a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago. I, I got my human design read by Marissa and um, we had this conversation and she was like, you know, you're an MG and a lot of people that are MGs, if they get stuck in doing one thing, they can just kind of lose it. And I was like, oh, that really sounds like me. I did not realize I was just focusing on, you know, how I make money and how I develop my intellect. And 
I didn't realize there's so many other corners that I want to explore. And that doesn't mean that my career has to be nothing. Like I don't have to just like blow it off. Um, I want to do them all. I want to contribute to all of them in a way that is fulfilling and connects my soul and like lights me up. Like I, 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 I love, I love collaborating. I love working with other people. And so it's very rare for me to say no to a project. Um, but as a result, um, I wrote this last night actually, um, about to-do lists. To-do lists, they are a really good marker for me to know if I'm in agency or not, because I know what an, uh, a very chosen active to-do list feels like. It feels exciting. It feels kind of curious, kind of, oh yeah, I made enough space for that there. Do I want to do it kind of early? Like, you know, I'm kind of intrigued in what's happening there. You know, that it doesn't always have to be fun, but there's a connection that like, there's like a internal motivator that says like, this is something that relates to a value of yours. Let's do it. You know, this component of that or the other side, which I'm more familiar with, um, as part of my lived experience is the to-do list that I won't look at. And maybe it um, terrifies me and I panic when I look at it. And so I don't do it. And then two weeks go by and well, the reality is the important stuff floated to the top. I survived and it was fine. So you don't need that to-do list. It doesn't have to be section one, a one B one C to all the way to 10. You don't have to have it built out it because it's going to happen. Like time is going to march on. You are going to be present with time. And so it's not really worth it to do that, especially if it's making you feel bad. Like my to-do list feel good when I'm in, when my, when I'm in agency. And I think realizing that has been so eye-opening, just very enabling. Yep. Yep. And I'm even evaluating my own right now, where it's like, at what point, what's the threshold that you set for yourself where you're like, if it doesn't get done by this point, it's not going to become a monkey on my back or weight on my shoulders. It's just getting erased. That's just, just gone. every three months, every six weeks, every three days, whatever it is for you, like, well, we're just going to, we're just going to cycle through the energy here, right? Yep. We're just going to renew because clearly if it hasn't gotten done in six months, well, Mm, who it, cares? Yeah, it might not need to get done. Like it's, if it's your taxes, okay, make the time. But like. <laughs> exactly, which likely there would have been some either intrinsic or at, intrinsic or extrinsic factor, which right a deadline you know would have enticed you to do so. Um, having a mother as an accountant also enticed you to do so, such as mm -hmm. in my case, I can never run from my my taxes no, <laughs> which is which is a blessing in, in many ways um oh man well i'm i'm cognizant of the fact we will be wrapping up soon here but i do have a couple more things that i want to discuss and i before doing so i wanted to circle back and just mention that i'm also going to put a dosha quiz in the um in the show notes for those of you who are like dosha what's that is that a person is that it's it's basically a part of um yogic yoga's a sister philosophy which is ayurveda or ayurvedic medicine in which that might ring a bell for some of you and it's okay if it doesn't um so basically there's three different types as as kate named pitta kapha and vata and it has a lot to do with just your innate uh, body makeup and um, kind of your innate energy levels. And they also each have two earth elements like earth, uh, water, air, fire, I believe that maybe there's just three, but anyway, they each have two. 
And um, so it ends up, it yeah, it provides a lot of affirmation in my experience too. Even it extends to like nutrition. So what types of foods will help you? It's always with a focus of coming back to equal or equilibrium. So the season shifted. Okay, so if you're a Vata person and you, you typically are very, quote, airy, you spend a lot of time um, in, in the clouds, maybe metaphorically, or your body feels very light and requires a lot of movement, it's likely that you want to eat a lot of like sweet potatoes and grounding foods and soups and roots in winter when it's cold and you need that to come back to your energetic baseline. So anyway, this is, um, that's kind of as far as it goes. <laughs> what I know, I know a little bit about all three of them, but I'll um, pop a dosha quiz in the show notes. And last thing I want to talk about, Kate, is this idea of soul attunement, as in S-O-U-L, attunement, and what that means to you and how that's showing up for you in your life right now. Um, soul attunement, I would say the first word that comes to mind is uh, refining, refining energy. Um, I think it's, really what it is, is getting intimately familiar with who you are, what you need, um, what, what matters to you and why, why does it matter to you? Um, and oftentimes for me, that started, um, by just being quiet and stopping and that it's still kind of weird for me. I still do struggle with like, not stopping. <laughs> like I slow down how I speak, you know? Um, so the first thing was just stop. Um, and then the second was listen. And then the third was listen with gentleness. I think I've lived in a brain that has so many expectations and, um, stories and, um, connections, you know, like I could always feel that, that nothing was ever just one thing. Um, and that led me to feeling really confused until I just kind of slowed down and said, okay, it's okay. If I don't get it, it's okay. If I don't understand it, it's okay. If I don't have an answer, those are all great, but it, I need to accept those so that I can meet myself where I am. And, uh, actually this practice also came from, um, Marissa Nash, uh, who I took my 200 hour training with her at the well. And so a lot of my practices came from that. Um, but a practice that she has is just writing down truths, just pure truth. And I remember I have a notebook and this is, I only write truths in this notebook. It's not, it's not very long. I've only filled out like three pages um, and I've had it for months and months, but that's why it's because it's for truths only. Um, and at first I knew the things that mattered to me at work. That was what came to me first because I was so used to being in my brain. And so, and the thoughts, the, the values that came to me out of that were integrity consistency, um, and compassion. And I think my first truth was something like, these are the items that matter to me. Like these are core values to my soul. 
And then there would be another truth, you know, like dedicating time to reading during the day makes me feel still, makes my mind quiet. That could be a truth. And then, you know, it's it's like a practice of noticing when those values showed up naturally for me, I think, instead of having to recall on them, you know, and make things integral, make things consistent, make things compassionate. No, they just were, you know, taking a bath. That's a compassionate thing I did for myself. And like, I could feel a difference in who I was before I got in that bath, who I was in that bath, who I was after I got out. And I, you know, you have that. I always had that feeling after working out. That's where that feeling originated for me. I remember I, I was an athlete, um, despite I'm five, one for anyone listening. Um, so I'm not really super athletic, but <laughs> I do love an athlete, um, for athletics. Um, and so I always got that feeling out of, you know, a really hard run or, um, a cycle or a game, you know, I played competitive volleyball and it's like, if you win, you like, I had all this access to this joy and this like pride and, um, integrity because we worked within our bounds and, you know, like it was just this affirming kind of thing for me was physical movement and sweating. Um, and I discovered when I was here and I started taking care of myself, you know, paying attention to where those values showed up easily. I realized that was the same feeling. It's like, oh, I was tapping into something that was really deep within me. I didn't even realize that's the practice that really brought me to it there. How do I continue replicating that in other places in my life so that it's not disruptive and it's only supportive, you know? So um, one way that I do that is I have three distinct to-do lists. Um, I keep them separate between work, soul, and human being, like trash clear out your inbox, clean your house. Like that's human being versus soul is like, you know, um, read one of my Dharma books or something like that, you know, like, so getting clear on the components of myself that I, that I view as integrity, consistency, compassion, and how I understand how the, how I want to show up in that, um, has enabled me to kind of look at my days and say, where do I find a little pocket? to connect in, to really just whether like I, I light incense now all the time beforehand. Um, I think when I started my teacher training, I really saw like incense as kind of, and I think it is still like a sacred ritual. Um, but for me, smell is a sense that overrides a lot of things. Smell follows me everywhere. Um, and I think that's genetic. My mom has that too. And so anyways, I, I noticed that, um, at the well, when we were taking so many classes, having that much incense and like feeling that that often was so good for me that now I burn incense all the time, all the time we have smoke in this house, you know, it's just, it just is what it is. And then, then that's what makes me feel like my feet are on the ground today. Um, but I also think that I'm, I'm trying to practice some elasticity in that and allow myself to find new ways because, I'm pretty type A, so I don't want to get into the, you know, rituals and, and all of a sudden the rituals become to-dos and then it, it no longer lands. Yes. Oh, 
it's just so so on point and you're reminding me of um i was just listening to one of glennon doyle's podcasts which her sister and abby wambach co-host on and and abby was sharing with us that's her goal for this year is leaning into basically this spectrum of strength and flexibility and you know she was sharing as like a lifelong athlete like her focus is always like how am i going to stand out well i like have superhuman strength i'm going to use my strength to like leverage up she was like so not ever was flexibility really a a card on the table like I knew it was important to like help prevent injury but she was like it's just recently now where I've realized how that manifests to the mental experience experience of the mind as well right how can I yes like ritual is powerful and sacred and it's okay to want to light the incense every single day at the same time that's okay that's completely okay and like you can do that and also offer the invitation for some neuroplasticity to develop, right? Some um, some flexibility to show up in your life such that it manifests in other ways, right? So, and it is this like the spectrum of rigidity and flexibility. And I saw this a lot um, with the kiddos I worked with primarily on the spectrum. And just as I got out of undergrad, it was like, okay, these are the things that make you feel safe and whole and and that's okay right like it could be a squeeze it could be a certain toy it could be knowing your schedule right that's important really important especially for neurodivergent folks absolutely and can we also invite in some difference some variance and see what happens right and for a lot of folks not just neurodivergent folks it throws off the kilter a bit it's like what my whole world is getting flipped upside down what are you doing right so we do the process of desensitization little by little little by little right we're not gonna just climb climb mountains like in a few minutes um so thank you for sharing that as yeah and i love everyone go just clean out your closet and grab an old journal from like middle school social studies or whatever like you don't need to go buy one unless you want to and create a truth's journal journal this sounds yeah like an incredible practice and what i heard in that is this coming back into self-trust right coming back into the act of trusting Mm -hmm. oneself as this often happens and speaking from my own experience when i drifted so far from my own spirit through a multitude of reasons, I then arrived at this place where I was in therapy and didn't know how I got there. I didn't know how I got there, right? And I'm also somewhat similar to Kate, a notorious intellectualizer, which is now something I will tell my therapist, like, hey, I will intellectualize the shit out of everything. So please call me on it when you see it happening, because I could be trying to talk myself out of sharing my emotional experience with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, but I, what, how did I get here? I'm smart. I know better. That was on blast in my mind. And it's like, Hey, it's cool. We're here. This is part of the process. And you have the ability to come back into trusting and knowing yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And I and I know that this is present for many people who have been um, in abusive relationships, especially romantic relationships who have grown up with um, parents who have struggled with mental illness, for example, and they simply just don't know. They just don't know anything different. They don't know anything other. Um, and so it's oftentimes when we put ourselves in those different environments, well, one, we tend to 
yearn towards what's familiar, be that the good, the bad, or the ugly. But two, when we are in a completely different scenario, it's like, shit, like the nervous system kind of panics because it's not, it's not doing what it's, it always had been doing, has been doing, if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, again, before we go down that rabbit hole even further, um, yeah, it's just in the invitation, the permission to invite in a little bit of play, a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of nuance into your, into your day to day. And that could be just having a different, different lunch meat on your sandwich that day, or, you know, grabbing a different flavor in your coffee or whatever it is, walking to, to work because you can versus taking public transportation, something like that. Kate, can you please leave us with any final thoughts and then tell us where folks can connect with you? Yes. Um, my final thought, love yourself, love you, love yourself. Things are so much more fun when that becomes important. Love yourself. Um, y'all can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is Kate's cool. C A I T S C O O L. Um, and then I practice, um, I teach at a co-op Mondays and Fridays. If y'all want to come see me Monday mornings, Friday evenings. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Court, as it always is. I mean, you know, you're a beautiful soul, but thank you for, thank you for creating this container, asking such insightful, loving questions and like the people that you help through this and the voices that you share, like it's felt. Thank you. Mm, you are most welcome. Thank you for trusting me, for being here and for opening up conversation into your world. That's that's why we're here. For those of you who are new to the Soma Mama podcast, I was telling Kate just before we started recording, I have yet to reach the point where I felt that it's necessary to do like a fancy intro or outro and it's kind of just arrive and have a conversation and let's just be two humans in this experience together. Um, but I created this podcast to to do just that, to, to connect, to share experience through um, somatic, our somatic experience as a human, um, and for those of you who don't know that, it, what that is, it's just being present in our human bodies. That's really all it is to bring light on uh, stories that vary from person to person to uh, talk about emotionality and talk about some of the taboo topics that, that we don't often discuss in day to day. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. You always have the invitation to, to like and share the podcast. Uh, if you know how to do that, if not, that's cool too. I just appreciate you showing up here and listening, feel free to reach out to Kate on Instagram, hop into one of her classes if you're in the Philly area, and we will meet again soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Kate. Thanks, Court.